The information in this broadcast is for educational purposes only and is not provided as a professional service, medical advice, or is it intended or implied to be a substitute for diagnosis or treatment. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this broadcast with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician and other appropriate healthcare providers. Hi, I'm Pete Levine. Welcome to Noggins and Neurons, Stroke and TBI Recovery Simplified. I'm a clinical instructor and clinical researcher. I've co-authored dozens of scientific journal articles about brain injury recovery, and I'm also the author of the book, Stronger After Stroke. I'm Deborah Battistella, occupational therapist, creator of the OT's Guide to Mirror Therapy, and an OT educator. I have a lot of experience working with survivors. Most of my clinical practice has been in a certified stroke center. Pete and I are especially interested in talking about what rehab, neuroscience, and clinical research all have to say about the brain and recovery. But don't worry, our job is to make this stuff simple. We're here to make it so that everyone, clinicians, clinical students, caregivers, and most importantly, the survivor, understands what it takes to leverage their great neuroplastic brain for recovery. In this episode of Noggins and Neurons, Pete and I have an animated conversation with Jenica Colvin, occupational therapist, and Suzanne McCrum, physical therapist from Trio Rehabilitation and Wellness Solutions. Trio is located in Bernie, Texas, which is 30 miles northwest of San Antonio in the Texas Hill Country. They are one of eight clinics in their small town with TRIO leading the way in neuro rehab, providing occupational, physical, and speech therapy. Jenica is the clinic owner, and they opened their doors in November of 2015 with one PT, one OT, and one speech therapist. The clinic is named for the Holy Trinity, and the logo colors were Jenica's kids' favorite colors for that day. At TRIO Rehab, they pride themselves on putting the patient first. You'll also be interested to know that TRIO therapists think looking up information in gross anatomy books is a good time. Suzanne had the courage to walk into the clinic one day. She interviewed on the spot and was invited to join the team. Suzanne has special certifications in big and loud and vestibular rehab. In fact, she has a special certification from the American Institute of Balance to treat clients with dizziness or concussion. She's also a certified stroke rehab specialist. And Suzanne plans to pursue a post-professional doctorate starting in January. If you made an error from Akron Canton, it's a little bitty town, drive through town. Akron Canton, is it is it near um, Maslin? Yes. Okay. So that's how what I know about Ohio. It, that's not where you're from, though. Wait, you, wait. I read. You're I from read about you today. I know um, where. Montana. Correct. Oh, uh, you knew that, Deb, right? Well, I just remembered it when you said something. It's not like I was sitting here thinking, "Oh, I know that Suzanne's from Montana and Jenica's from Canada." I was just born there. My parents got cold. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> And did they move directly to Texas? Well, they're native Texans. We're probably third or fourth generation Texans. And so Ooh. maybe when I was six months old, old they brought me back down. So, so wait a second. Texas. They were in Texas and then they moved to Canada. And for then my they dad's moved- job. Oh, what, what, what kind of job is that? It was uh, in the, he's an accountant for an oil company. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They do have some oil, both of those places. I oh, hear. yeah. Oh, yeah. Houston. Mm-hmm. Close my door, Jenica. You're echoing. Yeah, we're echoing. Let me close my door. All right, go ahead. So I found a podcast, Jenica, that I like that's about a, a young man who got murdered in Texas. Oh, whereabouts? Do you Canadian. Oh, <laughs> in Canadian. In Canadian, <laughs> Texas. In Canadian, Texas. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, isn't that up I-35? I think. I can't remember. I have no idea. Me neither. There's a lot of towns here. It's amazing to me the things that people will make a podcast out of. Even neurons. Even, ner- even neurons. <laughs> even neurons. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. That's funny. Oh, yeah. 
Should we go ahead and get started? I think we are started. It's recording. Oh. I see the little button going. Yeah, it is recording. And that's one thing I should point out is if you say something funny, even if it's embarrassing to you, it goes in because, you know, <laughs> these podcasts are so laborious and you're sitting in the car and you don't want to be bored. So you yeah. have no, I was on the phone with my sister before we started and I was like, Danya, let me tell you all the things that I got to make sure I don't say like... <laughs> And I went through the list and she's like, okay, that's a good list. Don't say any of that stuff. <laughs> if it's a if it's a swear word, people bleep it out. Well, that's no fun. That was my know, other right? point. That was my other point. If you guys make a mistake or if you forget something, if you need to look something up or you need to let the chickens, Suzanne, you have some chickens, right? <laughs> if they're inside and you need to get them out. Whatever it is, um, <laughs> we can, we, I'll edit all of that out and make you seem absolutely brilliant. If you start going, oh, well, uh, 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 we do it all the time. All that comes out. It's okay. seamless. Awesome. So, awesome. yeah. And then there'll be music behind it and everything. So, and if you need a break at any point, I'm sure I will. I'm a middle-aged man. I got to pee all the time. There's a therapy for that, you know? <laughs> Yeah, like we have key- a therapist here who does that, as a matter of fact. Some Kegel stuff. Uh-huh. Little, little yeah. pelvic floor, John Barnes. Uh-huh. Yeah. But anyway, if, it, if you guys need a break or if I need a break, we're taking uh-huh. breaks. So. Okay. Oh, oh, hold on a second. Hey, if I turn this off, can you still hear me? <laughs> there, I got my cough out. Okay. <laughs> Pete, do you have an intro like you always do? Uh, yeah, I'll do it unless you want to. No, I think you're really good at it. And I don't, I mean, you always do. So why should we mix things up now? Okay. Well, I want to welcome Jenica Colvin and Suzanne McCrum from the Mighty Trio Rehab in Bourne, Texas. No, Bernie. Bernie. Bernie, that's right. You told Weekend me that. at Bernie's. <laughs> you told me that like 400 times. Yeah. It doesn't look like Bernie. It, it really doesn't. does. No, there's another place here that looks like Leaky. It's pronounced Lakey. I mm. don't know. Well, it's not your fault. I just no. uh, pronounced it wrong. Bernie. Bernie, Texas. Uh, thanks uh, for agreeing to do this and thanks for showing up. You're welcome. We're excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my first question just has to do with your big move because I know you moved from one part of Bernie, Texas to another part of Bernie, Texas, and I've been following all the updates on Facebook. I, do you even have time to do this podcast? Of course I do. I have a great husband. He helps me with everything. <laughs> so he's an amazing man who supported me through all of this and uh, I'll backtrack and let you know that Trio started um, apparently six years ago today. Craig and I, my husband, were looking that up on Facebook. We had our open house today, six years ago, um, and that location was 1,000 square feet and it was located in an obvious facility that was meant for business. It was a conference room and two small side rooms that would have been like, you know, break off room or something. So we made it work. And when we've been open for less than a year, Suzanne joined us in that same small location. She treated, I think I looked it up, 16 patients the first month in September and 30 something in October. So we grew, you know, we grew slowly, but um, with lots of diversification. And then our second move was one mile from our house and from my house. So that was really great for me. I was able to get the kids to get on and off the bus from the office. And we enjoyed that location. And that was about 2,200 square feet. And now we've moved to our final location because um, my husband and I bought some of this property. We had the facility built. So it's about 24 to 2,500 square feet. And there's been such a backlog, I believe, in the healthcare system due to COVID that we are definitely booming and we could use a little bit more space, but we're going to make this work. And it's exciting. It's pretty. Um, The patients love it. And we just want to make sure our patients feel comfortable coming to a place where we know that they're already having some trouble that they might not want to have to be dealing with. So, Do you guys have all the equipment in? Are the computers hooked up? Do the lights work? Plumbing? Everything's going on? You're treating patients? Well, the plumbing did break the first day, but we got that fixed. <laughs> I, I read about that. Yeah. <laughs> One toilet went down. Um, but yes, the lights are up. We have the equipment. I had so many of the therapists show up on Saturday that it was just wonderful. Even more help. A um, couple people trickled in on Sunday. So 
the the love and dedication from the therapist and the respect that I give them is just just makes me so happy because they are awesome and they wanted to see the success and see the excitement of the the clients coming in on Monday. So yeah, it's all it's going. We're good. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> um, so since we're talking about your clinic, perhaps you could share with us the reasons for wanting to start something. Um, so my reason was really simple. Can I say one cuss word? Yes. Okay. My sister-in-law said that it was a pompous ass. And I love that phrase because I pompously believed that after working in multiple settings in the hospitals and nursing homes, um, never really an outpatient because quite frankly, it always intimidated me. Um, I thought that I could provide a place where services could be delivered to clients better. Mm -hmm. I just believed that I could. And strangely enough, it worked. Um, My sister-in-law came up with the name for me. And the name stands for the Holy Trinity, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The logo colors were my children's favorite colors that day. The next day, they were vastly different colors. Um, and then the, the women at the time, we do have two token males now, and they, we do call them token males. I'm sure I'm not supposed to say that, but we love them. But all these women kept coming, wanting to work with me because they've all got 19, 20 years of experience. And so everybody's in their 40s, 50s. Do we have a 60-year-old yet? Is that our only group we don't have? Maybe. And it, maybe. I don't know. And 70-year-olds still wanting to provide services, but they just couldn't work full-time anymore. Um, so when I have a group of women that are this passionate and detail-focused, it does attract a certain person to our clinic. And then on top of that, we went with the business model of working with our clients one-on-one for the full hour, which means, yes, you're correct. I'm not going to get as rich as I could. And I hate to say that, but it's true. It is a for-profit business model. But the patients improve. They get the attention that they need for the restoration of whatever disability they're having. And it might not be full restoration, but we also can talk to them so that they can understand that even if it's not full, it's partial and they can still live as independently as possible. It's realistic (laughs) is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. The end goal is perfection. Then we're all going to be out of business. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's not about perfect. It's about better and better you can build on and make that even better. So that's good. Absolutely. And I want to let Suzanne talk a little bit about that because she's so good about finding out where patients can be met. And I'm intermingling the word patients and clients here. Um, I think that's just because we want a multidisciplinary clinic. And so PTs still seem to say patients a lot, but she's so good about meeting them where they are and then utilizing evidence-based intervention, as well as, um, how would I say this, outlying (laughs) interventions, sometimes from 20 plus years ago, that are fun to watch because she's never afraid to try something old or new with folks. So maybe you could talk about something with that, whatever... Bring whatever pops up into your head, Suzanne. Wait, I got a quick question for Suzanne because sure. you're a PT. I understand you were accepted to a transition school to get your DPT. Yes. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, you're great. Did they open up some champagne for you? Or was your boss too cheap or what up? <laughs> well, it sort of happened at the time the move was going on and all everything. Yeah, you else. got lost in the shuffle. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. We I would have to drive. We'd have to drive her home after one drink. <laughs> I also celebrated my fifth year with Jenica in September. Jenica, yes, yes. So, yeah. So all that kind of happened at the same time. So yeah. just before you go off on uh, what's old and what's new and all that, meeting them where they are. What school is it that you're going to? Is it UT so Austin? No, actually. Um, when I looked into programs in Texas, because <laughs> friends don't let friends go to you. You'll have to edit that out. No, um, I'm not. No, that stays. <laughs> um, when I looked into programs in Texas, they pretty much feel like, I guess, they had everybody go through that wanted to do that. There are very few programs left in the country. Um, University of Montana happens to have one still. And I thought, well, you know, I have three sisters who all at least attended college in Montana. I'm the only one who did not. They went to the other Montana school. So I'm still the black sheep in the family, but I will attend a Montana university. (laughs) 
Will it? So do you have to go there full time? Is it distance learning? Is it half and half? It's distance learning. Um, I was given the opportunity. You could do it in three semesters or five. You know, I'm a little older. I don't remember like I used to. So I went with five semesters. (laughs) I know, right? So um, I think it'll be good. I think it'll be a good challenge. I love to learn. And eventually, I think I would like to teach some of the younger up and coming folks. So yeah, that's a good idea. We like it, right, Deborah? Yeah, we do. We do. One other thing about the schooling. Do you ever have it in the back of your mind that what the heck are these people going to be able to teach me after what is it, 25 years in practice? You cannot be serious with this. You know, here's the thing. Every time I go to a class or a course, Jenica and I did our um, certified stroke rehabilitation certification together. Steep age. It, it was it was fun, although Jenica did get in trouble from the girls in front of us for talking. I never talked too much. Oh, Don't boy. <laughs> they were a little serious about their learning. We were just exchanging ideas. We didn't know what the problem was. Um, you know, did they just give you dirty looks or did they actually oh no, say something? She actually said something to me. Yeah. I got in trouble. Yeah. Where, where was it? Um, in the Denver. 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 Did you just and say- I fell down too. I don't know about this whole walking on ice and snow. And so Suzanne's like, Jenica, let me show you how to do this. So I was like, thank you. That was embarrassing. <laughs> when they leaned back and said, you know, you guys can be quiet because we're trying to learn here. You should have said, I'm, for, I'm from Texas. It's true. You just back off. <laughs> Essentially, she did, but it's my ear. That's awesome. But, you know, you go to courses and you guys know you've been practicing for a long time. You feel like I'm doing this. I have to have CEUs for my licensure. But every time I take a course, whether it's good or bad, I always find something. You always go home with some golden nugget that you didn't know before, or just a different way to think about something like, oh, I've always done that. Why have I always done that? I forget. Oh, well, that's why I do that. So I feel like, first of all, the the program is geared a lot towards business, the business part of PT. So I'll be able to bother Jenica a lot more. (laughs) Bring it. (laughs) which she loves. Um, But second of all, you know, looking at things like pharmacology, which I think is fascinating and imaging, which who doesn't love to read an MRI? I know. fMRI is better. Right. Transcranial magnetic stimulation is even better. Right. Because it shows the pathways. It's awesome. Exactly. And that's not stuff that we, you know, in 1992, when I graduated from PT school, that did not exist. That's right. So it'll be exciting. It'll be fun. Hey, um, here's a little announcement. So on the 28th of this month uh, for Motivations, which is a CEU company, I'm doing a talk, a two-hour talk on spasticity. So, And I have a neuroplastic model of spasticity reduction that everybody loves. So you guys should come. Except now, now I what? I might have thought that that was still the ACRM stuff on... Podbean and taking that off. Sorry. Oh, the best motivation. Well, I'll put it back on. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Sorry. thanks for that little public service announcement. <laughs> and I'm wondering what meeting patients where they are and um, what's old is new. Maybe what's that all about? We get a lot of patients in here, clients who maybe they had their stroke a while ago and they've tried other clinics been treated, you know, if you have a model where your primary clientele is orthopedic and you're fitting these neuro patients in the best you can, but, you know, maybe they're not getting that one-on-one treatment or we get newer strokes who have maybe been in a rehab facility um, with some new grads. I'm not knocking new grads, but we all know there's a difference in what your focus is. You know, they come in here and I, you know, you do your evaluation and you look at them and you say, all right, what do you want to be able to do? What do you need to be able to do? And how can we get there for you? And then sometimes the statement, that's a great goal. But right now, let's maybe work on just transferring without falling down before we walk a mile. You know, Um, it's been my experience from the very beginning that 
when you ask people, is your goal to walk? They say, yes, I want to walk. And I will point out to them, but you are walking. And they say, but I'm using a walker. But that's still walking, but it's not in their minds. Mm-hmm. So knowing where they are, knowing what they want. Well, you know, I'm a little older than I was in 1992. <laughs> so I sort of understand a little more where they're coming from. I understand that I don't want to be perceived as old. All right, then stand up straight. Let's start there. You take, I'm going to make you look five years younger and five pounds lighter. Let's stand up straight and let's work on that. And if they're seeing Jenica, then I may say to Jenica, I have too many things to do. I need you to work on core stability with them. And she will because it affects so many things. I think just going back to the basics, we don't have a lot of fancy equipment here. Um, I've never asked for a lot of fancy equipment, I don't think, other than the really expensive mobility garden that we have outside right now. Super exciting. We can tell you more about that. Okay, good. Um, You know, work with what you have, work with where the patient is. And in addition, they don't have fancy equipment at their house. So give them something to do that is functional. The almighty sit to stand. Sit to stand. That really is the best exercise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And work it into your day. Three times a day. You eat three times a day before you sit down to eat. Do 10 of these for me. What? Yeah. 10. It's not that many. These are really hard, but they'll get easier if you keep doing them. How simple is that? And they don't have to spend a lot of time making time for that. Are both of you trained in LSVT? Yes. Yes which is a Parkinson's treatment, typically a Lee Silverman voice treatment. People with Parkinson's tend to move slowly and hesitantly. And LSVT big is the part that works on arms and legs, and it has them move really big and really powerfully. It's sort of the opposite of what they're doing. People with Parkinson's um, believe that the movements are big enough. They just don't feel it right. So it recalibrates the system. But I always wondered, is there anything that you take the LSVT uh, idea- And you put it for other pathologies like stroke. Yes. And, and then how would you do it? I had a guy recently, um, it's a small town, so I have to be careful about what I say because people can identify people out here. But he had come in and he had a stroke, let's just say years ago. Um, and the old OT and me, right? The old OT, I sat down in front of him and I thought, gosh, his, you can tell that he he must have probably been a pusher. His neck is not positioned correct. He's not in alignment. Oh, and his shoulders messed up. Oh, oh, and his, yeah, he's got some coordination problems, but they're not bad. And all of a sudden I laid him down and I started doing like cervical retraction. And then I put two and two together and I thought, why am I doing this? I could totally use the big movements with him and let's see how he does. And he loved it. Now, this is a guy who he won't mind if if the public knows this because he makes me laugh. He walked in after a second treatment and had, he's 70 something, big old earring. And I go, wow, you got an earring. (laughs) It was like, I've always wanted an earring. And so we would tease each other back and forth about that earring. And that led into more and more laughter that led into bigger movements that led into, you know, him counting more and more. And when he would moan and groan about reaching to the ground, I was able to give him grief and tell him to be quiet, work harder. And he would laugh. And it was just this whole circle effect. And he did get better. And what I loved about it is we finally got to the point where I said, okay, what do you want to be able to do? And he's like, I really need to be able to take care of my wife. She's pretty sick. I said, what does that entail for you? He goes, I need to go to the grocery store. I said, let's go to the grocery store. And so in his, even though he used a little, what are the, what are those little buggies called that you can drive? Little scooter. Even though he had to be in the scooter, he still sat up tall. He got up and out of his scooter and he reached. He was functionally reaching. He was interacting. He didn't run over anybody or anything. So that was a bonus. But yeah, it was a perfect program. And we pull different tools out of our toolbox all the time. And, and I think that's kind of the point Suzanne was making about new grads is that it's nerve wracking to be a new graduate working with a bunch of 20 year seasoned therapists, but we're all really nice here and we have a good time. And just observing how other therapists do things lifts you up. And, and now that we've gotten to this new space, even at this clinic, us observing each other is lifting each other up. And so we can see how big and loud exercises might help in different conditions just because of the open clinic space. But yeah, we've definitely used it for other conditions. It's been fun. 
Hey guys, I just wanted to step in here real quick to tell you about a continuing education course that I'm doing live virtually Thursday, October 28th from 10 to 12. You can sign up for it by finding your way over to the fine folks at Motivations CEU. And you can find that at motivationsceu.com. So there's no spaces in there. Or you could just Google Motivations CEU. Once you get on the website, find the search window and just type in Levine, L-E-V-I-N-E. There's a couple of courses on there that I'm teaching, but the one coming up Thursday, October 28th is on spasticity. Now, if you've heard the Noggins Neuron Spasticity Podcast, it's like that, but it has visuals and videos, and we're going to kind of do some hands-on things as much as you can do hands-on virtually. So that should be fun. And of course, it's much more in-depth and a little bit more geared towards clinicians. If you can't make it Thursday, that same course will be available for download whenever you want it. But hey, it's going to be fun. And I hope to see you. MotivationCU.com. Thanks. I love what you're talking about because I work with the two-year students going through the OTA program, and I'm always encouraging students to take a position where there are other seasoned therapists because that's how you learn. And um, you know, Pete kind of mentions how I'm very big on mentorship, yeah. and I think that's how I think it, it can make or break a therapist. Mm-hmm. If if you have good mentorship, then you can grow as a practitioner. And I love to hear you talking about using these interventions that were made for a different diagnosis and you can use them. They're neurological diagnoses. So Mm -hmm. why not? Yeah, exactly. I think that can be empowering for younger, newer, not necessarily younger because I was not a young graduate, but newer graduates. Well, and and we always, I always try to make it fun. I, I think I probably have the loudest laugh in the clinic, but that same person we're talking about, I mean, I'm like, Hey, you're really not talking loud enough. Could you try a little harder? You know, like I totally give him grief and I'm super cynical. And and so he'll holler a little bit louder and I'm like, that's still not good enough. Hold on a second. So I'll go get my phone and we'll put on a little CCR, Credence Clearwater Revival. That's his favorite. Bump it up loud. I'm like, now you need to holler over that. I need to hear you count to 10 loud as you can be. And so you have to have fun because honestly, how much does it suck to have a stroke or to have Parkinson's? It's hard. Mm -hmm. And if you can't go someplace where you're going to have fun and you're going to leave tired, but happy, you know, that that's what we're aiming for. And at the end of the day, sadly, his wife did pass. But one of the last things he did right before she passed is he was able to take care of her at the grocery store. So those are the things that that make me want to do this job. Yeah. So... (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, do you are you do you guys have any students there? Do you have anybody running through clinical affiliations there? Are you trying to get placements, Pete? I'm thinking about you. You don't you place students? Yeah. Well, go down I to do. Bernie. Um I'll, go ahead, Suzanne. So we did we have a therapist here. She's got all her clinical instructor credentialing and she loves to do that. We tried, but none of us work full time. We all work two to three days a week. And so um, doing her clinical teaching was challenging because everybody has a little bit different style. Not to say that you don't work with different CIs when you work in a hospital, when you do a rotation in a hospital or whatever, but it was too much different. We do mentor high school students here and lots of them. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) We have four this year. Um, Our schools do a a program as a freshman. You choose a career path that you think you might be interested in. So then when you get to be a senior, you get to do a clinical placement. And so my son, for example, thought he might want to be a veterinarian, got to shadow in a veterinary clinic. And we get these kids right now. We have two that want to be surgeons, one who wants to be an OBGYN, and the other one wants to be a nurse. Nobody wants to be a PT or OT, but I have a year. I can get them changed. <laughs> so we, we see those through the clinic every school year. And then in the summer, we have a lot of college-age students come through who are doing their observation hours for getting applying to PT school or OT school. So we, we see our fair share of students. We don't do true rotations. That was a long answer to a short question, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the that's the way it should be. <laughs> you want more? I've got more. Yeah, go ahead because this is why we have guests on. We're we're sick of hearing our own voices. So 
What do you got? You can take it in any direction you want. Really? Jenica? Well, okay. So I have three kids. And like I said, Suzanne has two and we, we like them and we think our spouses are okay as well. But Pete, yeah, you and I, the way I do not know how I came across your book. I think I was, no offense, bored. And I was looking at podcasts and I probably put something about occupational therapy. I don't know if it came up, but I heard your podcast. And at the end of a walk, I had texted Suzanne and Stephanie and said, y'all got to listen to this. It's terrific. So that led to me traveling with Craig up to Wyoming and I was reading your book and I sent you a private message, not thinking that a famous author like yourself would, would interact with me, but you did. And that was, that was so fun. Um, well, now I forgot what I was talking about, y'all. No, just keep That's going. Right, right Jenica. Famous uh, author. Um, <laughs> very happy to meet me. Yeah, no, I remember actually, those those instant messages on Facebook going yeah. back and forth. I'm like, this lady. No, but for crazy. real, what was, <laughs> what was I talking? Susan, what was I talking? Oh, the kids, the kids. Okay, so then I said we were just chatting about something, and you made a really profound comment that I utilized a lot when I was working with kids as an OT, but never as an adult. And you asked me, how, what, how has having children helped you as a therapist, essentially? And so I rattled off a couple answers. Um, and, and this is a, this is a hard thing to go into because you know there's people, kids that are younger that have just got out of school and they don't have kids, or people that are older and never had kids. And so I don't mean to step on any feet. Um, but if you have had kids, it makes a huge difference as a therapist. You know, uh, Suzanne and I were talking about this. Right, right before we started this the, the recording, and you know, watching how many times a child gets up and down, learning to walk, um, knowing when you have to push, especially like my son right now, who's in high school, and his grades go up and down and up and down. And there's times I have to know when to just push, and there's times when I know I need to sit down and educate on how to study, and there's times that I just need to get mad or I need to cry, and he feels guilty and he pulls his grades up. <laughs> And you can't do that for your patients, but well, you, you know, could. <laughs> have you tried? Have you tried it? That's all I'm asking. <laughs> you know, that's kind of a good point. Maybe I should, but I don't know. You know, you you started that. So where were you going to go with that, Pete? What about you? What do you think about being a parent and how that's changed? Well, I've made this point in all the talks I've done. Parenting drives more cortical change than anything else that you could possibly do. Um, mm-hmm. Right out of the box so to speak, you have to learn how to change a poopy diaper. Otherwise, they end up back in the hospital with a bad rash or something. There's only two reasons anybody would change somebody else's poopy diaper. So either you're a parent or you're an OT. Boom! <laughs> that's the only two reasons. No, that's exactly what my husband says. He's like, my husband does audiovisual stuff, like this high-end technical stuff. Like He starts talking and I just ignore him. I don't even understand what he's saying. And he, he goes, you know what? I, I just don't even know if I like you. All you like to do is change people's diapers. <laughs> Not true. I told you, Deb. That's all you guys do, you OTs. You know, my first day of level two field work was a really rough day when I found out that I had to help my field work educator take the guy who had the stroke to the bathroom and I had to be the one to yep. um, do most yep. of the work. Yeah, that was... Been there, done that. That but was you know, rough. fire. It, well, you know that's the, exactly what it was. Uh, it's because it rolls downhill. <laughs> Here's the worst part of being a parent, though, is you look at your kids and you're like, wow, I'm not doing a shabby job. Like, they're really pretty decent kids. And, and like my my middle daughter, she's so emotionally mature. And my husband looked at me the other day and said, oh, you've got a lot of catching up to do, you know, <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> Everybody's face on the podcast right now is like, oh. She was born an old soul. <laughs> she was. But, you know, it goes both ways. Um, being a parent, yes, I can, I can work with my clients better because I have been a parent. But the opposite way is that you're going to end up having to learn a lot too. You're going to have to be a better therapist, a more patient therapist, um, and you're going to have to learn a lot more. Uh, the emotional part of being a therapist, the, the part where you're good with with big, you know, stroke recovery or biomechanics, ugh, orthopedics, boring, um, you know. But it's going to force you to make some changes as well, whether you want to or not. So be ready. Be Something ready. Jenica and I were talking about is I think being a parent 
has helped us both realize that sometimes you need to, because with your kids, they reach a point. My son is 19. I have to let it go. I've done my work. I have to let it go. I have to let him make his own choices. And what Jenica and I were talking about is with patients, you know, I can want it for you, but if you don't want it for yourself, you know, there's no meeting in the middle there. There's my doing all the work and you're doing nothing. And that's, that's not therapy. That's babysitting. And that's not why I'm here. Yeah. And and I think that's probably one of the biggest changes I've seen as a clinician in 20 years, truly, is that people used to come to us and we were the authority, right? We were the authority on the rehab. And now it's like, hey, yeah, I know all this stuff, but I don't know what's going to work for you. So we're going to trial and error it. And you're going to tell me what works and what you're willing to do. And and of course, the occupational-based model, why? What is it you want to achieve? But if if you can't, if you, you have to own it. If you're not going to own it, all the training I have is for not because I, I can't fix you. I can't do all your exercises for you. I can't do your constraint induced movement therapy for you. I can't do your mirror therapy for you. You've got to show up and do the work and, and you got to make light of it, put on your music, <laughs> have fun, but you got to do it. And I think that is what is so frustrating at times as a therapist is Suzanne will always call me out because I walk around. I'm like, well, they've had a brain injury and, and I, I just, it's not them. They're, you know, they, they'll get motivated later. It's my job. And she's like, no, no, some of that's the fact that they've got to do the work too. And so it makes me, and so for new grads, you should know that even 20 years in, I still feel like I've failed my patient mm-hmm. when they haven't gotten better, but it's a two-way street. I, sh- I come to the table with the tools they still have to to do the project at home. They've got to do the work. Brain plasticity is driven from the inside out. Nobody else can drive brain plasticity in you. So maybe you can pitch that. That's one cool thing about constraint-induced therapy is that it's not the therapist that's the bad guy anymore. It's that damn thing on their unaffected hand that they can't use it. So I did have a question for you about constraint-induced. Do you do it? Do you do some sort of modified version of it? How are you doing that? And do you do it in the lower extremity at all? I do do it. And I love it. It's a lot of fun to me. I always try to make the task in the clinic functional, but I just put a good old oven mitt and I do put a little bit of tape on there. And the the clients usually laugh. They're like, what are you doing? And I explain it. Um, I usually also provide the log, maybe not the very first day, but within the first week, but absolutely I use it. And like like a motor activity log that they fill out every night telling you that, yes, I have been doing the forced use part of constraint-induced therapy at home. Yes, correct. So yes, we do use it. Um, The results have been good. It depends again on the patient's motivation. The last couple of strokes we've had that have been through the clinic were pretty bad. There were some underlying orthopedic issues as well that limited some of the performance, but in general, I I love doing it. I I mean, how much fun is it to strap somebody's arm down? (laughs) So we have a good time with it. Can you give us a couple of examples of the functional activities that you have them do? Oh, sure. So one of the ladies we worked with was in the cleaning business. So we actually would have her clean the table, um, sweep, and reach into the cabinet. I have a cabinet full of empty boxes, which one therapist that helped me move, who just started with this, was wondering why she was moving all these empty boxes. But um, we have pickle jars, uh, enchilada sauce, tomato paste, things that are heavier, um, boxes of rice. And so we let folks do that. Some of my males, it's been funny lately. A lot of my males with, with strokes do a lot of the laundry in their house. So they've been doing the laundry. What else, Suzanne? Oh, sometimes I will have people when they really get higher up, I'll have them separate sheets of paper, paper clips, staple, put it into file folders, stuff that, you know, our younger grads are like, y'all remember paper and pencil? (laughs) So yeah, real basic stuff, but functional, wringing out washcloths, so spray bottles, whatever, whatever you can find, use it. Exactly. I like it. Mm -hmm. So you have a washer and a dryer in your clinic? We do. Oh, yeah. We do. Do you have a pool out back? Uh huh. We have a pool. We have a money tree. We have a no. We do not have a pool. We don't have a money tree. <laughs> but we do have a walking trail right behind the clinic. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I was thinking about you today, Jenica, because like half of your emails are just hilarious. 
You're one of those people. And I, I was thinking, where in the brain is humor? Where is that clump of neurons that makes people funny? You got it. You have a hypertrophy of the whoever, huh? And it's just funny. It's right next to the ADD. <laughs> you know, people with attention deficit disorder, they just don't have time to process everything. So it comes out really funny. Yeah. You know, I, I remember specifically coming out of OT school and going, and this is kind of a rough story, but um, working in nursing homes, right? Because I, I remember I was in Dallas and they wanted me, they were paying, I kid you not, like $20 an hour. And I was like, wow. And they're like, oh, and you're going to need to work Saturdays and all this stuff. And and when we moved to San Antonio from the Dallas area, I still was actually paid in my 20s. So just so you, you new grads know, it used to be really bad. But I would um, be in that nursing home and be with all these older people. And I hated the therapy that I just, I just didn't think it was good. But I would wake up in the middle of the night, terrified of dying, just terrified. And I would I would have, I just would sit bolt upright in the bed and just start having a panic attack. And as my life has progressed and I've seen people that are ill and you see the quality of life going down, it is my job to improve quality of life, right? That That's my job with whatever tools necessary. Pull it out of your toolbox, pull anything out. Who cares? If, if, if you fail at it, tell your patients it didn't work. Let's go to the next thing. Like you don't need to be a fail afraid of failure. Everybody fails. And I get so tired of saying that word is a bad word. Failure is not a bad word. But I found that the more joy I can bring to people by laughing and by sometimes making fun of what's going on, you know, either you're going to laugh or you're going to cry. And that has calmed me down. It allows me to bring humor to a situation and and bless that person's life for the hour they're here. And, and hopefully they go home feeling a little bit better and try a little bit harder. And, you know, every day is a new day. You only get so many of them. Do the best you can. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. So you keep them laughing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I thought you meant do the best you can is a good idea. <laughs> That's all you can do. That's all you can do. It is all you can do. And I I feel like our education system makes people afraid of failing. And so I've I've personally tried to lighten up on the grading and um, the way we approach assignments because I can't, it really bothers me to see people so stressed out over a grade. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, look at how they're doing continuing education courses now, like on MedBridge. If you fail the assessment, which I'm the kind of person, don't tell MedBridge, I go right to the assessment. Um, But you can just retake it again because that's Mm -hmm. how you learn. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's the same thing with motor learning. Practice makes progress. Speaking of practice, Suzanne, have you tried to implement any form of lower extremity constraint-induced therapy? I have not. Um, I think that probably the closest I've come, I have a current patient. He is currently working on midline alignment. Not only was he a pusher towards his affected side, but he also has that backward disequilibrium. So this is a patient who I said to him, I need you to go home today. Every day, I need you to stand with your heels against the wall and hold a towel with your butt cheeks on that wall for five minutes a day. And he does it every day. And he comes in and says, I already stood against the wall. I said, yeah, but now we're going to make it harder. Probably the closest I've come is with him actually making him use his non-affected side more because he was pushing so hard to his affected side. So then once I finally have him in the middle, now I can see, oh, his left side is a lot weaker. How was he even holding himself up? So now I'm working on, okay, now we're going to use your affected side more. We're going to stand on it. We're going to do toe taps with your non-affected side. And, and I'm with Pete where I'm from the days when it was the good side and the bad side. I did hear that podcast when that those terms were thrown out the window, but, you know, affected and non-affected. And, it, you know, and so anyway, we're working on his affected side now standing on that side push with that side come on give me more effort through that side does that answer your question that's as close as i've come probably so to give us a a, a more clear picture of this person how long have you did you have to work with him on just finding that midline and how many days a week do they typically come and see you so how much yeah how frequently did he come so Um, we find with our older patients, he's over 80, that two days a week is a good number for them. 
you know, I would like to be that person that says come in three days a week, but then that fatigue becomes more of a factor than, than the exercise is helpful. Um, he's an interesting case because he had a stroke at the kickoff of COVID when we all got locked in our houses. Was They were very terrified to leave the house. And so I tried telemedicine with him. I did his evaluation. That went okay. <laughs> The first time we did a treatment, I we were doing sit to stands. Here I am on my end of the computer. There he is at home with his tiny little wife. And he's not big, but she's tiny. And I said, okay, those were great. Put your feet closer together and let's do another set of 10. He stands up, falls right over. So I determined in my head that telemedicine may not be for someone like me who likes to put my hands on the patient. I want to touch you. I want to push you around. I want to push your limits. I want you to fall. I'm there to catch you. I don't want you to fall on the ground on the computer at home when I can't do anything. So he stayed out for a year, Jenica. Mm -hmm. So maybe longer, maybe longer. Yeah. Yeah. By this time, that's all set, Pete, that you know, the penumbra is, has been whittled away. And here we have, I have what's left with someone who already is older. So the neuroplasticity is not great. I've been working with him for almost three months. He's not pushing any longer. He is still backwards, but it's better. And now when I verbally say you're leaning to the left, he can correct it. He doesn't need the mirror. So that's kind of where we are. How much better will it get? I don't know, but he's willing to do the work. So, so am I. So he's obviously someone who does his home program. Correct. And if he doesn't want to, his wife makes that happen for me. So uh, kids, uh, you can donate to Nuggets and Neurons. There's a QR code on the Podbean website. You can just scan it. And also there's a Venmo that you can do it. It's at Neurons is our address or whatever you call it. And And thank you to all of you who have been donating. We appreciate it. It's very nice. And remember, 20% goes to the Brain Injury Association of America. Brain Injury Association of America. Um, 20% of it goes to that if you if you donate a little bit and it doesn't have to be a lot be a little bit in some ways it's like just showing in a, a little bit of appreciation if you're getting something out of it yeah and, and don't forget to join the Facebook group that'll be helpful too mm-hmm. and yeah so yeah good yeah it's good stuff So cognition is this, I I love the way people say, I want to work on cognition. What do you have for cognition? And cognition is the whole darn brain doing everything that we're conscious of. Like, is it motor cognition? Is it emotional cognition? Is it understanding other people's emotions? What, What are you talking about? How do you identify problem with cognition? And maybe what kind of outcome measures do you measure them on? And do you have any tools in the toolbox that we could give to other therapists maybe listening to this that might work for them? That is a good question. And it's a very big one. When a person comes in with a cognitive issue, let's say it's a person with, because I work with patients that have dementia as well. So let's say it's a person with a stroke and you can tell something's off, right? I'm best by just kind of picking up on it. And I don't know how to explain that any better, but you can, you can detect that something's off, right? So the first thing I'm going to want to do is speak with any family member or caregiver and ask about any unusual things the person, the patient, the client is doing at home. Okay. If I can have that interview and get some answers, usually that points me in the direction of, okay, is it a short-term or a long-term memory issue? Is it attention? Is it visual perceptual? And at that point, what I can do is then utilize some pretty basic assessments. I know nobody loves the the MOCA because it's not standardized yet, but the MOCA has a few things that are divided to explain if it's visual, spatial, or memory, or what have you. I do love the MVPT. That's a, a fairly inexpensive one. And again, even just interview with the client again and ask them if they can perceive that there's an issue going on. I also usually really want to know about their fatigue level because that can affect cognition so much. And I need to let folks know that that's a very normal part of having a stroke. And then once I can identify what's going on, 
honestly, I, I don't, I'm not nearly as old as Suzanne. So, um, I can still remember something, (laughs) but I I will still go to Google. I mean, I don't have to memorize all this stuff anymore. You know, if this person comes in and their motor visual perceptual skill is, let's say it's a figure ground issue. I'm going to go look up activities to help with figure ground. I don't have to memorize all that anymore. Or if it's a a long-term memory task or a short-term memory, well, if it's long-term, you're going to have to short start with a short-term memory task. Um, I, I will always use something like the COPM, which is the Canadian Occupational Performance Measure, where a person identifies what's important for them. Um, and the person I had recently, she was a fairly high-level stroke. She cooked. She liked to cook. And so I started her with saying, give me a recipe you have memorized, right? So that's something that's in her long-term memory slash procedural memory box. And she was able to pull that out and give me the ingredients. I went and got them. You know, I didn't ask her to pick, you know, I'm not having steak, but let's do a real quick chili or something. And I went and got the ingredients and I had a crock pot, one of those little stir fry pot, pot things. And I did it in the in the clinic. I was able to look at all kinds of cognitive aspects, her safety, her judgment. Was she able to get in all the ingredients? Was she able to cook it and pay attention to the heat? When she walked off and we were done, she turned it off. You can look at all the components that you identified as the problem. But once you can find the problem, Google some activities, you know, and, and find out what's important to that person. As, as we all know, if it's not important to them, it's not going to change anything. And then how would you transfer that to home? Because sometimes Deb and I talk about the disconnect between what's going on clinically, but then they go home and they kind of forget it. Is there a way to transition them? Do you use caregivers? Do you give her reminders of some sort? I really do try to work with the family members and something that I know I need to get better about. I'm really good about doing home assessments when needed. But I, now that now that we're Texas is, seems to move through COVID a little bit faster. I don't know how y'all state is, but people are more than willing to let me come into their house and I can do that activity at home as well. Um, but we can perform the same activity multiple times. I can do it with the client independently in the clinic. I can do it in the clinic with a client and a caregiver, and then we can transfer it to the house as well. It, whatever it takes. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to ask them? <laughs> She's thinking about it. I am. Well, I'm wondering with that whole cognition piece, if you get uh, different responses from the person who had the stroke and the caregiver. Always. So how Always. do you address that? Gently. <laughs> Um, we had one gentleman putting, what is he doing? He's putting cat food into the dog bowl, which, you know, could be logical if you've run out of dog food, but he was doing something really unusual. And so I would ask him why he was doing that. And he, he wasn't even aware he was doing it. And so sometimes raising the awareness, like you understand there's dog food. Do you remember where it is? And he might, that might be the problem right there. No, I have no idea. So then we just do something as basic as a striking visual cue, you know, a big sign that says dog food posted on the outside of the cabinet where the dog food is held. But yes, those those interviews are usually vastly different. <laughs> vastly. <laughs> to say the least. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear from you. Ask us questions and share your thoughts by email at nogginsandneurons at gmail.com. That's noggins, the word and spelled out, neurons at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with others you think will benefit. Also be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll catch you next time on Noggins and Neurons, Stroke and TBI Recovery Simplified.